0: war in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to the John DePetro Show. Folks, remember, for all your tree service, well, you want to call Yankee Tree. Call them today, 401- Folks, you're listening to the John DePetro Show on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, depetro.com. Well, it is Thursday. It is July 28th. This portion of the program brought you by PR Landscape Materials and Garden Center. Pop in and see them. Folks, everything you need, make your home a show place. It is a little sticky, as you heard in the weather forecast. Certainly not as hot as it has been, but a good weather to be outside. And they have everything. They are a full-scale nursery, everything you need, gift certificates. They're open seven days a week, hanging patients, hanging pots, everything, annuals, perennials, trees and shrubs. It's PR, Landscape Materials, and Garden Center. And look for them on Facebook. So today is a significant day, and I want to um, draw attention to the fact that Helena Folks, who is running for governor, uh, it's a new day for her. And a lot of people may not get it, but she, this morning, uh, today, received the endorsement. She had a little press conference, got the endorsement from Mary Ellen Goodwin. it has been around for a long time. That's a connection. Mary Ellen Goodwin is very tight with Gina Raimondo, uh, Commerce Secretary Raimondo. When Commerce Secretary Raimondo um, was the designated survivor, she came into Providence and had dinner with Mary Ellen Goodwin. So there's a connection there. She also got a, received an endorsement from former Congressman Patrick Kennedy who at one time might have been worth a lot. I don't know if he's going to campaign for her. Um, There's some people that could help a little bit. But the real win this morning is she got the endorsement from Providence Mayor Jorge Alorza. Now, here's the part that I want people to understand. In the city of Providence, that's that's a valuable endorsement. That helps her be, you know, this also, there's several things about the Alorza endorsement, is who he's not endorsing. Mayor Lourdes is not endorsing Governor Dan McKee. Outside of Providence, I don't think that that's valuable. But inside of Providence, if Helena Folks, who, folks, when you step back, she's running as a Democrat. She was the, uh, you know, ran CBS. Um, If we want to be objective, she would be a very interesting person to have as governor because she doesn't owe anyone anything, self made, uh, certainly was very successful in the business world she she you know to put it mildly she would not be in the pocket of all the special interest groups and all the shenanigans that we've had to put up with in the short amount of time that governor mckee she has the most experience um she would be an interesting candidate she would take a business person's approach you know people like um, there's several knocks on her and i get that um that she would be like a reincarnation of gina raimondo but right now i mean if you have a choice between someone like a dan mckee or gina raimondo you know gina raimondo wouldn't put up with a lot of the stuff that dan mckee gets himself involved in so you know if mayor alorza hear me out if providence mayor jorge alorza if he is if he's really willing to campaign with her and go out with her and just have her run competitive in providence see that's her th- whole thing she can't get blown out in providence i'm not even suggesting she win providence i think she can do well in certain pockets around the state the biggest problem that she has to worry about is mail ballots in the city of providence that both the mckee through the sabina matos campaign would pull out and especially what nelly Gorbea, who's teamed up with that the guy that's running for mayor of providence uh, gonzalo cuervo but if mayor Lorsa, if he can have folks run competitive um if she could you know and i'm just talking about not get blown out you can't get blown out if she could do that she could certainly start to make some headway the rest outside of the state see the whole thing with the democrat primary is there's three places that basically decided providence central falls and Pawtucket. You know Central Falls has twenty twenty or twenty two thousand people living there. Think about that <clears throat> a town like East Greenwich, I think has thirteen thousand central falls twenty twenty two thousand um Pawtucket population is what seventy thousand Providence of course, is close to one hundred and eighty thousand so with the Democrat primary and and notice also Governor McKee's been spending a lot of time in East Providence, so I think he is planning on trying to pull a lot of votes out of east providence he's working with the mayor there a lot uh governor mckee spends a lot of time as i said so he's trying to kind of go not only the trifecta but he's trying to extend it a little bit and have his branch being east providence providence Pawtucket, and central falls i'm i'm not saying some of the other outlying areas are not important but that's where you you really want to consolidate your vote that's where they do a lot of ballot harvesting that's where they really work the streets so that's where they can manipulate who it is you know pulling mail ballots out um that's why they gravitate towards those areas so i want to be very clear i think this also signifies you know she's not quitting i'm not saying she was going to quit the race but they need a direction need some life and mayor alorza as dan mcgowan said um he is still He's still the mayor. You can do a lot of things when you're the mayor. You can control a lot of things with the mayor. Some other things that she can do is really make sure that he has the pulse. Uh, they have to watch the board of canvassers. There's, there's various things they can do that he still has the power. So the fact that here's the other thing that people need to take away is that Providence Mayor Jorge Aloysia is not endorsing Governor McKee um and when you step back i mean governor mckee it's one scandal after another he is um the former mayor of cumberland i will just tell you he is not who i thought he was very slippery deals fbi probe going on he they boy they go they flirt right with the line when when tony silver's former chief of staff they didn't bring criminal charges with with Governor McKee, it's not that it was a year long investigation. It was not that the Attorney General basically laid him out and said that the things that he was doing was you know completely wrong. The amount of phone calls and pressure in McKee world. well, he didn't get charged, so that's considered a win. It doesn't matter that it was improper, it was unethical. He was abusing his position uh in their world. you know it's like we'll take the win. the win is a win. But just, Helena, folks, there's still time. Uh, Early voting starts in less than a month. Think about that. August 24th is when early voting starts, and here we are in in late July. So the next two to three weeks is when things are really going to juice up. Helena, folks, there's a window there. If you're still talking about an undecided of 30%, I think that is that Governor McKee, as we've said, is seen as the safe prom date. He has not closed the deal. Uh, If someone else can make the case, someone like a Helena folks could really catch fire. Voters know Dan McKee, and they don't like what they've seen. Uh, Voters know Nellie Gorbea, and they're not thrilled about that. There is still a huge part Democrat primary and independents that could vote in that primary. There's really no compelling—there's no reason to vote in the Republican primary right i mean it just isn't there's no i mean there's a couple of races but not not nothing dramatic it's not like in the past when you had several people vying to be the candidate for governor so you know the the republicans will handle that themselves so you're gonna have decent turnout very good turnout actually in the democrat primary i'm an unaffiliated voter i will probably most likely vote in the democrat primary in fact i will um but i um watch if she makes a couple of moves helena folks could there's a path there is a path and i am telling you right now that 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 endorsement from mayor alorza is is a big one because it also keeps the city honest it gets him engaged um you know maybe she would find a role for him in a in a folks administration so he um that is something to watch and so i think that is a big that is a big win for the folks campaign they should feel good folks uh you're listening to the john DePetro show propane plus in rhode island for all your propane needs call them 401-885-4209 in massachusetts you can reach them at 508-252-3359 propane heating and cooling 885-4209 in massachusetts call them at 508-252-3359 they're very easy to navigate website it's propaneplus.com propane plus call them 401-885-4209 to the john DePietro show weekdays we start at 11 we go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, petro.com It's time for our legal segment. Joining us right now, he is one of Rhode Island's top attorneys. He's our legal expert. It is attorney Tim Dodd. And, Tim, I'm going to start off. I think this is an interesting situation. I don't believe or remember any time. Uh, recent note that we've been through something like this. But the actions of Governor Dan McKee, this whole ILO contract, where he was negotiating a new contract, just gotten over into office, taking over to... Uh, Former Governor Gino Armando. And um and and there was some questions about the contract, the amount of the money, communication in between, how it was put out to bid, and so forth. So local media have been questioning uh the McKee administration on, you know, if he's been subpoenaed, if anyone from the office has been subpoenaed. This was done, I want to mention to the listeners, in in the role of governor. It's not like it's an outside Situation, You know, maybe it's a personal dealing and nothing to do with it. And so far, they're they're refusing to do it. And I noticed that, you know, the governor's attorney is saying one thing, but local media certainly seem to feel differently about this.
1: Well, this is all part and parcel to um, an APRA request, APRA, APRA which yep. is access to public records, records, public yep. records, And it's a very Byzantine, very confusing statute. It's got lots of exceptions. Um, An APRA request along with an open meetings issues create all kinds of problems because of the way these things are drafted and implemented. Now, the media is reporting that subpoenas may have issued either from the Rhode Island Office of the Attorney General or through the U.S. Attorney's Office, if there's a state grand Mm -hmm. jury, excuse me, there could be a federal grand jury. Uh, The governor is well served by his legal counsel, Claire Richards, who's been around the block a number of times. She knows how to work the system and protect her client, in this case, the governor. And she has responded to these media inquiries, um, saying in part, if She's not saying it's happened if either of these organizations have issued subpoenas in um, connection with any investigation. Those subpoenas would not be considered public records under APRA. And she's correct, because one of the exceptions to this um, public records access would be uh, records um, that if the governor's office, let's say, got the subpoena and disclosed the records that were being sought, excuse me, um, that could reasonably be seen to interfere with these investigations or interfere with law enforcement proceedings, then the recipient of the subpoena could say, well, no, I can't release this stuff because this could have some interference with the investigations that are going on. Now, the response to that is, well, how could that possibly be the case? If you've been subpoenaed, show us the subpoena. And what do you have that's responsive to it? Um, I think the governor is receiving the correct legal advice from his counsel. Uh, Certainly, that's a very tight legal analysis. And it's a legal opinion that's given in the backdrop of a soon coming primary election and soon coming general election. So although the governor can stand behind his lawyer and say, I can't release this stuff, even if it exists, and I'm not going to acknowledge whether I've, the subpoenas have been issued to this office or not, you know, that, that decision does certainly have political ramifications potentially. Um, how long will the governor be able to stick to his guns on this um it depends what sort of pushback there is from the media or his um his fellow democrat candidates for governor
0: mm. it, but, it's already being framed a little bit by opponents of what does he have to hide um and, and, and the media in, in some element tim dodd it is i, I mean you tell me I, I view it as a public right to know does the public have a right to know if the sitting governor has been subpoenaed and has to answer questions in front of a, in front of potentially, you know, a federal, federal grand jury, um, you know, how, how does the statute lay out that?
1: Well, this, you have the public's right to know, which is a legitimate point of view, but you've got to read um, the APRA legislation and that calls for something different than the public simply having a right to know. There are exceptions to safeguard information depending on how it's asked for, what purpose it's asked for, etc. cetera. I mean, this kind of goes back to, um, by way of analogy, when Governor Raimondo was still in office, um, she was looking for um, a way to open and let the public know about certain grand jury proceedings The presiding judge of the superior court said, yeah, it's a nice thought to say the public has the right to know, but we also have to protect the integrity of the grand jury. So you've always got these forces that are at odds sometimes. Public wants to know what goes on in grand juries. Um, The system has to protect the the individuals uh, testifying before the grand jury. The system doesn't want that information to necessarily come out especially if no indictment results from a grand jury investigation. But you got people saying, but we have a right to know. We want to know. What went on in that room? And the system says, well, that's not for the public to consume that information at this time. Hmm. So this is a similar classic battle between people saying we have a right to know, and you've got a governor who, at his political peril, is saying, I'm not going to acknowledge if we've received subpoenas. And even if we have, we're not sharing that because we got to rely on APRA. So they're going to hide behind that, I think, for as long as they can. Um, it's a strategy that certainly has political risks.
0: Folks, we so speak with our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. We are going to be talking about President <clears throat> Trump. But Tim Dodd, I'd like to get to a of mine. Alex Jones is now, uh, <clears throat> parents of Sandy Hook victims are really going after him. There's a trial. They want 150 million in damages, and already this thing is is off to a roaring start. He arrived hours late on the second day. He started speaking outside the courtroom after the first day. Um, let, let's let's walk through the Alex Jones parents of Sandy Hook victim uh, case that's going on right now.
1: Well, Alex Jones um, poked the wrong bear, or yeah. the collective bears. Um, these furious parents of these children who were massacred at sandy hook alec jones took the position that it was all a phony phony trumped up um report uh, concocted by um elements within the government um as a way to um rally support for further gun control um and that none of these kids either existed or none of these kids were killed and Terrible. that it was a phony story that's I, I, the most amongst the most malicious things I can possibly think for a broadcaster to say. It's hurtful. It's false information.
0: Yeah, it was wrong. He was making it up.
1: Right. And now so, he's
0: got to face the consequences. But so, these antics.
1: But it's information that he knew was wrong or right. he reasonably should have known was wrong. Either way, it was reckless statements that he made over and over and over. Now, There's three separate trials that are coming his way on the element of damages. There's two in Texas. I believe there's one more in Connecticut. And it's just a question of how much he's going to pay. He'll never have the ability to pay, but I think these parents want to wipe him out to the extent they can wipe him out financially because there's no other measure we have for punishing somebody. He's not going to go to jail for this unless it's a jailing for contempt of some court ruling, but the best the family can do is get money damages. And and I don't think they really expect to get lots of money out of this guy, but I think they wanna cripple him um, from a business standpoint, get him off the air and um, remove him from his ability to cause more chaos. So now we fast forward, the trial's beginning. Um, I believe the court was clear and it's standard in any case, the litigants, the attorneys, the witnesses, the um, plaintiff, the defendants are not supposed to discuss the case in the presence of the jury. That's, that's completely wrong. That can create a mistrial because you don't want any statements of any of the parties to, um, um, to taint um, the jury pool. So this guy with, with, on day two within earshot of the jury is blathering on about, you know, you better be careful what you make of a case like this because uh, our First Amendment rights are under attack. And this is a kangaroo court, it's a show trial. It's all intended to um, promote gun control legislation. And it's another um, knock on our First Amendment uh, freedom of speech protections. That's his story right now it doesn't even make sense what he's no. saying it's a lots of words that don't really hang together but he said these words in the presence of the jury. I think his take on free speech is I can say whatever the heck I want yeah and clearly we know that's not the case no. you can you can defame people, you can slander people, you can libel people by saying things that are false that you know to be false or you reasonably should know their faults, or you say it with reckless disregard to whether it's true or false. So he did all of those things. So you can't defame somebody, and when you're sued, say, "Well, I have a First Amendment right to say whatever the hell I want." Well, right. you don't. Yeah. You really don't. No. So he knows that. Yes, but he's. Yeah. Oh, I think antics.
0: what he's. I think it's well, really reprehensible.
1: I, I think what he'd like to do is create as many mistrials as possible to frustrate the system, to slow it down and to avoid having a money damage judgment entered against him. But, you know, he he plays these sort of games with a judge who uh, is stern and will not put up with his nonsense. Mm. That's the type of thing that could put him in jail for contempt. If they say, listen, listen, you do this one more time, we're going to hold you in contempt because you are not going to, turn the system on its head, mm. taint jury pools, create mistrials, and this create havoc. So he's been warned by the judge whether he will obey or whether he will continue to carry on. Only time will tell. But I'd predict before this is over, he's held in contempt for some yeah. reason.
0: And two more, two more trials after this. In yes. This, uh, both again in Connecticut and also in, uh, in Austin. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Attorney Tim Dodd, our legal expert, right here on the John DeBito Show j perry paving folks you can depend on j perry paving they provide high quality fair pricing exceptional service over 20 years experience specializing in commercial paving residential paving seal coating patios and much more call them today for a free quote 401-732-1730 j perry paving they are tremendous they also how about this once a month They provide a free paved driveway to a veteran. And remember, whether it's a brand-new paving project or just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed, call J. Perry Paving for a free quote. It makes a huge difference in your property, in your home, in your driveway or patio. 401-732-1730. J. Perry Paving. 401-732-1730. You can also find them on Facebook. They're terrific. Hey, get that driveway paved. Call and book an appointment now, 401-732-1730, for J. Perry Paving. We're speaking about legal expert, its attorney, Tim Dodd. Tim, uh, with all the J6 talk and everything, well, I, I just think it's taken an interesting turn now. Merrick Garland gave an interview. Um, I, I, I want to get your take on, you know, at first, now granted, we're not hearing, this is all one-sided, and and we're not getting any type of defense here, but... They certainly seem to be really looking to try to make a case and bring charges against President Trump for his, his, for not what he did, but his inaction on on January 6th.
1: Well, yes. And, you know, Merrick Garland was a one-time candidate for the Supreme Court and his uh, his uh, proponents would sing his praises about how fair and judicious and all this stuff characterizing him. I mean, he has shown himself to be a real serious partisan, in my view, in his role as attorney general. Does he have the goods to charge um, Donald Trump with any federal crimes? So far, John, I still don't see it. Now, certainly from a political standpoint, when you got the media every day saying, oh, Trump's about to be indicted, Trump's about to be indicted. Yeah. And you got Merrick Garland saying, we're going to look at every fact and we're going to follow the facts wherever it may lead. And if indictments come, indictments come. And I believe he was asked in that interview, well, would it be destabilizing or you know really create chaos if you were to indict uh, President Trump? Well, we don't consider the person we're going to indict. We just follow the facts and we apply the law to it. Well, that only happens sometimes. That's not a general proposition for this uh, Department of Justice. But putting that aside, Donald Trump, in terms of the day of the event, he said what he said. We've talked about that many times. He went back to the White House. He watched the riot unfolding. He didn't really do anything for a considerable period of time. Now, can he be charged with a crime for that inaction, um, dereliction of office or some similar charge? Uh, As we've said many times, you you can charge anyone with anything. It's easy to charge somebody with a crime. It's difficult to prove that allegation if the case were to go to trial. So could Trump get charged with some federal offense? Sure, that would be easy to charge him with something. Um, it, would have a, it would be another political black eye for Donald Trump as he teases whether he's going to run in 2024. Um, and even if the Justice Department didn't do anything for quite some time, but said, oh, we're looking at it, we're investigating, for the rest of the year oh, we're looking at it we're investigating into next year oh, we're looking we're investigating does that chill the ability of Donald Trump to run again are people going to say oh boy what happens if we put our chips on this guy and we have a convention and baboom he gets indicted you know that could be a big embarrassment um, that's from the political perspective on the legal side A lot of the things that went on, there's no direct nexus to Trump. There's direct nexus, you could get a direct nexus to people like Rudy Giuliani um, and other people within the administration, but not necessarily to Trump. Now, we don't know everything that's um, taken place at these um, January 6th hearings because we're only selectively told what the committee wants the public to hear yep. there's lots of other things that are going on behind closed doors depositions uh, testimony behind closed doors that we don't really know um which is you know he's talking talk about the public's right to know shouldn't hmm. we know everything that's going on here but yeah again i i think we should but the media is not interested in critiquing the actions that are being taken by this January 6th com- commission. So could he be indicted? Yes. But right now I don't think they have the critical mass of facts to um, form an indictment, to charge him with a specific crime. Hmm. Um, did he wait too long? Uh, I think the consensus would be, yes, he waited too long. Um, was he not stern enough in telling his the people who had breached the Capitol to go home peacefully and stop it. Um, I think that he's quote-unquote guilty of not taking enough action, waiting too long to take the action. Um, I think all of those things are accurate. um, Mm -hmm. Does that disqualify him from the presidency? That's a political question. But that lack of action, I don't know that that necessarily results in criminal prosecution. Mm. There's, there's allegations. Well, Trump knew that when he told his people to go to the Capitol, he knew they had weapons. And if he knew they had weapons and they were going to the Capitol, you know, what was he to make of that? And after the, the, um, the breach started, he did nothing to call federal authorities, state authorities or anyone else to try to intercede or beef up the troops that were available to stop this. But as the media is reporting that they failed to report that the day, I believe it's the day before he was urging, um, Nancy Pelosi to beef up security at the Capitol building, which is her responsibility. He was urging Metro police to beef up its presence. He was urging the Capitol police force to beef up their presence and nothing happened. Mm. So, I mean, if they want to go after, uh, Donald Trump for this, Um, I think that that would open the door to a lot of criticisms and a lot of ability to get records, which the January 6th committee is refusing to look at Hmm. and um, really prove more about the actions that Trump took and the actions he didn't take, because we're only getting a a selective narrative. Um, I don't think there's been any reporting, uh, except maybe in the very days after the event about what uh, President Trump did to try to get more law enforcement on the ground to beef up security. And it seems like, although he asked for these things, the exact opposite happened. They had security at the Capitol opening the doors and waving people in. It doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah. Folks, again, we're speaking with our legal expert and attorney Tim down. Tim, what about this late, late-breaking development President Trump's threatening legal action at CNN?
1: Well, I, he can threaten all he wants. Yeah. Um, again the standard is if he wants to go after cnn for defamation or for slander he's got to prove that they made false statements or they made statements that they knew to be false or they made statements with reckless disregard to whether the (coughs) statements were true or false yep now that's the basic standard but as we've seen from even the johnny depp trial The further standard that a public figure has to prove is when the statements were made, not only was it wrong, not only did you make it with reckless disregard, but you had to have the intent of actual malice. I mean, that was true in the Depp case. It was also true in the case with um, the New York Times and Governor Palin. And in that case, the judge found that she couldn't prove anything more than it was sloppy work by the New York Times and they were negligent that she was never able to prove actual malice that when the Times uh, made their false reporting that they intended to hurt Sarah Palin. So it would be the same standard for a public figure here. If President Trump wants to go after CNN, he's going to prove the basic elements and prove that there was an intent a malicious intent to hurt him, not bad reporting, not negligence, not being sloppy. That's a, an extremely high burden. And I don't think if he files this lawsuit that he's going to cow CNN to change their ways. I think they're no. going to keep coming at him yep. um, because he's a perceived threat.
0: Yeah. And it also it, it uh, kind of moves them in their brand, kind of keeps them on brand if they continue to do that folks quick break much more ahead our legal expert attorney tim dodd right here on the john DePietro show the next time you have an emergency head straight to atmed urgent care two locations 1524 atwood avenue suite 122 in johnston or east greenwich 5750 post road atmed urgent care urgent health care facility Providing comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals, families, specializing in ambulatory medicine, diagnostic treatment service, at-med urgent care. They provide immunization, school, sports physicals. They're a cost-efficient health care alternative to hospital-based emergencies. They're open seven days a week, walk-in routine urgent care, minor surgical, orthopedic and trauma, work-related injuries physical exams, drug testing, full laboratory services, and with AtMed Urgent Care, they offer mononuclear antibody infusions. You, someone in your family suffering from COVID, you want to go straight to AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, Johnston, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Suite 122, or East Greenwich, 5750 Post Road, online at atmedurgentcare.net. We're speaking with our legal expert attorney, Tim Dodd. Tim, some local stories. Pawtucket bans political signs 30 days before an election. Some say it's unconstitutional.
1: Well, what everyone would, everyone should say it's unconstitutional, yeah. not just some. That's ridiculous. Um, you can't do that. Um, we have the right to free expression. If I want to put a sign on my lawn that says, you know, whatever, have a nice day or I, any, any innocuous thing that I would like to say, I'm yep. free to do it because it's free speech. There should be nothing about the fact that I'm saying something positive or negative about a political candidate that preempts my right to free speech and free expression. Now, this ordinance foolishly was passed by the uh, Pawtucket, I guess, city council. But I believe their solicitor has announced that they're going to stay, meaning freeze the effectiveness of this ordinance until there's further um, investigation as to its constitutionality. And I I can tell you right now, it's not constitutional. Um, Steve Brown's been way out front on this with the ACLU, and he's correct. You can't do this. This comes up. Every election cycle all over the country where there's attempts, oh, no political advertisement, no political lawn signs until 30 days before an election. You can't do that. It, that's yeah. interfering with free speech, free expression. So uh, many municipalities try, uh, they all ultimately fail and they all get slapped down in court. And this one will too.
0: Now, Tim Dodd, the Providence Police and Mayor Lorza had a um, a big press conference. They're going to be bringing these flock cameras into the city and the surveillance cameras. But they're vowing that it's not going to affect civil liberties.
1: Wow. Are you reassured by that statement? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a very slippery slope. It's very yeah. scary. Now, you've got countervailing forces on this one, too. Um, look at let's go back in time to the uh, Boston marathon bombing that was not governmental surveillance cameras, but that case was solved through private business surveillance cameras. And that was then fast forward to today, more and more businesses have surveillance cameras. Many homes have surveillance um, systems installed, or at the very least one of these ring video doorbells, Um, this cameras everywhere. Um, There's people videoing with their phones everywhere. Uh, Crimes are captured on uh, smartphones constantly. Um, Now, these flock cameras are allegedly just to monitor vehicles coming and going from specific points. License plates only. Okay, but what happens if this video happens to catch a um, car accident or a crime being committed? Um, at what point is the information being gleaned going to um, spread beyond just looking at license plates? I mean, the mayor can say all he wants, oh, this will never be abused. You've got to trust us. I wouldn't trust, you know, as good as the Providence Police Department is on most days, I wouldn't trust that this system won't be abused. Now, it's being installed um, for a test period of one year. So I guess after a year, we will see um, to the extent to which it's helpful in solving a criminal activity or if it's abused in um, trying to um, prosecute or solve crimes. I think there's such a great potential for abuse. I'm all for law and order, but this one makes me nervous.
0: What about the new recording system in East Providence City Hall that the ACLU has a problem with?
1: Um, I I think that the ACLU is correct on this one. Um, There's there's this audio system now installed at the um, clerk's office in East Providence. And apparently there's a sign saying that you may be recorded. And the law is in Rhode Island, we're a one party consent state. So if I'm speaking to you on the phone and I'm recording the conversation and you have no idea it's being recorded, but I know it's being recorded, that's a legal thing that I'm doing. If, however, I put a recording device under your desk and then you proceed to have a conversation with another one of your colleagues and neither of you know it, you're being recorded, that's a felony. I can't Mm -hmm. do that because neither of you know what's happening. Right. Now, in this case, I presume that the clerk behind the counter would say, well, I know I'm being recorded, but <clears throat> the issue of consent, I think, becomes fairly important. Is is Providence, as Steve Brown said, what are they going to ask people to give their consent to be recorded? And if they don't give their consent to be recorded, then they won't be provided the services they're looking for from the right. city employee. Yeah, It's... It's, it's one of these good ideas where the mayor is saying this is really for the pu- protection of the public and our employees because there's more and more reports of um, uh, people coming into City Hall who give clerks a hard time and they'll deny it. And there's people who come and complain that the clerks gave the uh, consumer a hard time and the clerk's office will say, no, we didn't. So the system allows to verify is the clerk being rude or unhelpful to um, constituents or do the constituents come in and give the clerks a hard time? It's a he said, she said without an audio system in place. But what happens if the clerk is, is helping somebody else at the counter and two other people are speaking and they're talking about something unrelated or something with family or something with potential criminal activity or anything you can think of those two people don't necessarily consent that their conversation is being picked up by this recording system. The system's only supposed to be recording what the interaction between a city employee and the person on the other side of the counter. So again, it's a nice idea, and the mayor can say all day long, "Trust us, this system won't be abused." But the potential for abuse is so strong. Yes, I, I think they should pull this audio system right out of the city hall. It's it's a dangerous
0: thing. Tim, Steve Bannon gets a lot of attention, doesn't back down. Um, As much as, you know, guilty and Bannon found guilty, I'm just – either I'm missing something. I don't don't think this is – I mean, it may end up being a fine of some kind, but he certainly, you know, raises money, has the ability to raise money. seems to be getting a lot of publicity, and I think he is on brand of they can't force him, I don't think, to answer questions. He's just – he's not going to answer questions, so they – may find him guilty, and they may find him. I don't, I don't know how much jail time he might end up doing, but I, I think in the long run, for Steve Bannon and his brand and being like the Gordon Liddy of, of, of today, I think it's, he's better off just doing exactly what he's doing and keeping his mouth shut.
1: Well, he's been found um, guilty of being contempt of the subpoena, and that has a penalty that can attach to it, and we're going to find out what the judge is willing to do. Now, let's assume the, the committee issues a new subpoena, and he does the same thing. I think he could be prosecuted again on a fresh subpoena. Yep. Now, before the trial started, Bannon and his lawyer said, let's, um, let's put this trial on hold, and I'll voluntarily come in and talk to the committee. Judge says, too late. Yep. We're not going to stop the trial. You're charged with contempt. We're going to have a trial. So I guess now the question is Bannon before it said, "Well, I'll go in and testify." Well, now that he's lost, is he still willing to go in and testify, mm. or is he going to revert to say, "I'm not willing to cooperate now"? Go jump in the lake. Yep. I- I'm not sure what's going to happen. I think Bannon's putting all of his chips on the appellate issues that his team was able to um, create and preserve during the course of the trial. This, his appeal rises or falls on um, the critiques his team has regarding the judge's rulings on pretrial issues. What could uh, Bannon utilize as part of his defense? The judge essentially gutted many of the defenses that would have otherwise been available to Bannon, so he had very little to go on. Um, if it was if it's determined on appeal that the judge was correct, then Bannon's going to lose on appeal. If it's determined that the judge cut out some legitimate defenses that Bannon should have been able to utilize, then the conviction would be reversed and he'd have a new trial if the government wanted to proceed for a second time against him. If he had all the defenses available to him, uh, the government might not be so keen on teeing it up for another trial. That all remains to be seen. Mm -hmm. Um, Do I think he's going to go in and testify now that the trial's over? Not so much.
0: Yeah. Tim Dodd, in, in New York City, they were getting ready to allow, whatever word we want to use, undocumented illegals voting. The judge, not so fast as far as non-citizen voting in New York.
1: Well, yes. Um, the the ordinance, which was going to allow um, literally hundreds of thousands of undocumented individuals to vote in local elections or state elections, um, New York judge um, agreed with the objectors saying that that was unconstitutional under, um, under the New York Constitution and really under the U.S. Constitution. So that's out. I'm sure the proponents to have illegal aliens vote in elections have appealed that decision. I guess the question will be, will a ruling come In time before, let's say the primary. I know New York's primary is imminent. I'm not sure exactly the day, but these cases that come up right around election time create chaos for, in this case, the New York Secretary of State. What are they to do? Who is a legitimate person who can come in to vote? Right now, the illegals are out. Maybe an appellate judge might put them back in but this case is racing on a very fast timetable time um, when you look at the fact that we've got a primary election coming up very, very soon. Mm.
0: Tim Dodd, finally, in, um, this I thought was unusual how um, Judge McConnell, again, certainly not afraid to make different types of rulings. But what, what, what can you tell us about these individuals from Chad Brown?
1: Well, they've they've been on an organized crime spree for years and years and years. Um, They were sentenced under the RICO statute in part, which was originally designed to um, prosecute uh, racketeers, if you will, organized crime figures. But it has morphed over the years to um, address um, gang members and those types of situations. And the Chad Brown gang members here, um, the litany of crimes that they've been involved in would make your head spin. I mean, mm-hmm. retaliatory killings, uh, all sorts of serious felonies. Um, the judge handed out some pretty stiff sentences. In one of the cases, I think there was an upward departure um, in sentencing and there was an objection from defense counsel and the judge says well if nothing else i've added three years to your client's life (laughs) because if he's in jail he's not going to be out there you know either shooting people or getting shot at right um you know and the judge can say from the bench when is the killing going to stop when are we going to get um our streets under control you Mm -hmm. know when is this gang violence going to stop all very nice theoretical questions from the bench but it doesn't really take into account what's happening out there. And you don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. There's a systemic societal problem which has made this type of activity by gang members today many times worse than it was 20 or yeah. 30 or 50 years ago. It's like yep. our grandparents would have never seen anything like this happening on the streets mm. You know, there would have been organized crime, but not these rival gangs killing each other and creating havoc in the streets. Um, So it's a societal and cultural phenomenon. I'm not sure what the solution is. I know that the judge doesn't have the answer. He can ask the questions and, you know, throw up his hands and say, when is this going to end? I'm going to impart some harsh sentencing, but will that dissuade the next group of gang members who are going to engage in similar activity? No, not at all. Tim
0: Dodd, finally, actually, this final... I get the sense that Nathan Carmen, they, they are just, they're not about to see him go on the lam, go on the loose. And I, I get the feeling that they, they're going to keep him under lock and key.
1: Well, they don't have a body. No. They keep talking about that. They think he killed the grandfather. They keep complaining that there's no evidence because we don't have a boat and we don't have the mother's body. Um, They don't really have a lot to go on to keep Mm. this guy behind bars, except that he may well be a flight risk. Now they can take his passport. uh, They could um, limit him to home confinement. They could put on an ankle bracelet. There's all sorts of monitoring they can put on him. And, you know, he's, he's an intelligent guy, and I'm sure he might concoct a way to try to go on the lamb. But uh, as we've seen that, easier said than done. I mean, yeah. most people get tripped up as they try to go on the lam. Yep. This again surveillance videos everywhere. It's that's hard right. to live off of cash and it's hard to not use credit cards cuz all of that's traceable. You can't use your checking account, you can't use credit cards. It's very a very difficult existence mm. if you're trying to live in the shadows and hide from law enforcement. Maybe this guy's up to the task. Um Maybe he's uh, not, but yeah. it seems to me that the judge could set some set of rules and parameters that would put this guy perhaps in home confinement. It's gotta be very difficult for him inside to have conferences with his lawyers. It's always difficult when your counsel has to meet you at prison at very, you know, specific hours with not lots of privacy in many cases. Mm. Um, I think this is one of those cases for prosecutors, there's a difference between what you know and what you can prove. And I think they know this guy did it, but I'm not sure they'll be able to prove it.
0: Folks, he is our legal expert attorney, Tim Dodd. Tim, excellent job as always, and we will talk to you again. Thanks, John. Take care. The Senadale Revival. Stop it and see them comfort food and cocktails you're going to love. The Centerdale Revival, located 2025 Smith Street, North Providence, right in Centerdale, right across from North Providence Town Hall. Delicious food, delicious drinks, live entertainment on the weekends. Shane and his crew, they're waiting for you. A great time is going to be had by all at the Centerdale Revival, 2025 Smith Street in North Providence.